This is a Salt Hill Media original podcast. Geodich. Geos Merlich. How can I say who are you and what do you do? How can I say that? You could say, Kei Hossa. Who are you? Kei Hossa. Kei Hossa. Agus Kadayanintu. Kadayanintu. What do you do? Kadayanintu. Kadayanintu. Shinny, that's it. <laughs> okay, I'll say it again. Yeah. Kei Hossa Agus Kadayanintu. Ismisha Molly. I'm Molly. Agus is Moonchord May. I'm a teacher. And why? Very good. Is Moonchord Gwailgame. I'm an Irish teacher. And why? Or fad. That's very, very good. Okay, Molly, uh, thanks for coming on to the Ireland podcast again. I want to ask you for another favour, and that is can you please translate for me Happy St. Valentine's Day? Incha, of course. So in Irish, we would say Law. Ela Valentine Sonna Ditch. So, La Ela Valentine Sonna Ditch. La Ela Valentine Sonna Ditch. And I'll use my powers of recall from the last lesson. La is day. Ela is fela with a hitch aspirated. Uh, and what do you call it? What do you call it down south? The shavu. Yeah. So Ela is Fela, okay, and that means festival. So mm-hmm. day festival, happy. Sh- sh- you say Shona or Sona? Well, so Sona S O N A means happy, mm-hmm. and because law is masculine, we're saying Sona mm-hmm. because we don't add a shavu after a masculine noun. But if it was like nullig Christmas, that's feminine, we would say nullig Hona. S H sounds like her. So nullig Hona ditch, happy Christmas, but La Ela Valentine Sona ditch. Mm-hmm. La Ela Valentine. Sona. Sona. Just an ditch. S. A snake okay. sound. An S yeah, yeah. from a snake. Brilliant. Okay. Sona ditch. So should we say it together one more time? Let's. La, La Ela, Ela Valentine Sona Ditch. And that means Day Festival Valentine Happy on you. No, with you. To, to you. you. To you. Ditch. Could be for you or to you. Okay. That's great. So, where do people find you, Molly? You can find me on Instagram or TikTok, Irish with Molly, Molly with an I-E, or my website, irishwithmolly.com. And what can they get there? You can get lots of free resources. So I make flashcards and reels explaining the etymology of the Irish language and its links with Hiberno-English. I also have a free mini course, irishwithmolly.com forward slash mini course with vocabulary, greetings, useful phrases, and the basics in Irish. And then I also have courses, so do get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. Do you know that there's a connection between Valentine and Ireland? I do. Don't let the cat out of the bag just yet. We're going to find out more in a second. How exciting. Isn't it? Okay, I will say, Gora Mila Mai Agat, 100,000... No, hey, that's right. 100,000... Welcome. Uh, thank yous. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 100,000 100, thank yous to you, Molly. 
Okay. Fear of Mila Maggots. Okay, I'll go slang the files. Goodbye for now. Shinny, that's it. Slon. Slon the full. I am Gino Lopari, and you are listening to the Ireland Podcast. Hello, who are you and what do you do? Good evening, Fender. How are you? My name is Father Sean, and uh, I'm a Carmelite, and I'm the parish priest here in White Forest Street Church, which is located in Dublin city centre. It's on a street called Angel Street, and Angel Street is connected to Wexford Street, which is connected to Camden Street. Uh, Angel Street is also connected to uh, Southgate George's Street, which leads on to Dame Street, which, which leads on to Trinity College. It's connected to York Street, which leads on to Stevens Green. Uh, and as you go down York Street, as well as a few hotels and apartments, there's also the Royal College of Surgeons. So we're smack bang in the middle of the city. Yeah, right in the middle. And we have a big church here. We have a big church. I didn't actually mention White Forest Street. <laughs> so so White Forest Street is the name of the church, but White Forest Street is actually behind the church because when the church was built, it was built just before the penal laws were finally abolished in the late 1820s. The church was constructed in the mid-1820s. So it's approaching their uh, bicentenary. The front of the church at one point was on White Forest Street, which is behind the church now. And then in the 1950s, it was reversed. So the the altar went where the entrance was and the entrance was where the altar was, more or less. It's a little more complex than that, but that's the essential story. Mm-hmm. So are you, are, you, are you confused? I'm very confused. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, first of all, thank you very much for your time today. You're welcome. And the reason why I wanted to talk to you uh, was because of the connection between Whitefriars Street Church and St. Valentine. What can you tell us? We were talking a few moments ago about the construction of the church in the 1820s. So the main driving force in that regard was a, a, a Carmelite priest called Father John Spratt a Dubliner and a man of many gifts. And Father Spratt, after building the church, was in Rome in the 1830s, and he made quite an impression there. And as a sign of his uh, esteem for Father Spratt, the Pope at the time, Pope Gregory XVI, gave him the gift of the body of St. Valentine for the Church of Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Wild Forest Street. So that was in April 1836. And uh, in the following uh, November, uh, about six months later, uh, the relics were received here into White Forest Street. And there was a, a huge gathering, about 40 priests and the Archbishop of the time, who was Archbishop Murray, received the relics at the gate of the church, which was on White Forest at the time. And there was a special casket and a great ceremony uh, with many men, uh, many religious in attendance, many sisters perhaps, no doubt, and no doubt a huge public crowd too. And the choir of Western Row sung at the Pontifical High Mass. So that, that was quite an event. It's said that the 
gift was also a sign of the Pope's solidarity with Irish Catholics. It would endured a few very difficult centuries under the penal laws, and they, they were finally coming to receive uh, civic freedom again uh, through the work of Daniel O'Connell and others. You know, so it was a, it was a significant moment in the in the city, and also, of course, for us here in in Whitefriars Street. So nearly two hundred years, well, hundred and eighty. Six or five years later, the relics are still attracting a lot of a lot of attention. And as we know, what can you tell me about the history of Saint Valentine? The tradition is that he Saint Valentine was martyred in the third century, and one of the reasons that he may have been martyred was because he married couples in secret, because there was an edict by the emperor of the time. Claudius banning marriage and Valentine was keen to support marriage in that time. He was imprisoned and tortured and it is thought that he was beheaded by Claudius for refusing to deny the faith. And uh, there, are, there are two accounts of St. Valentine and it's unclear whether they refer to the same person or not. One identifies him as a priest in Rome and the other describes him as the Bishop of Terni, which is a city near Rome. And uh, the church recognised him as a saint, and he was on the Roman calendar until 1969, when the calendar was reordered. So he's disappeared from the calendar, but he still is a saint. And indeed, Pope Francis, in an exhortation published within the last 10 years on the joy of love of Mars Laetitia, refers to the need for the church to reclaim him because, as you know, he's very popular in Valentine. In, in popular culture, we have candles, cards, teddy bears, roses, sweets, and so on. Mm. But <clears throat> behind all these lies the figure of St. Valentine, who is keen that people find love in marriage. And, of course, this year, as you know, the, the day... Ash Wednesday and Valentine's come together. It's unusual. I think it's happened three times in the last 80 years, 1945, 2018 and 2024. So uh, as well as a day for love, people are asked to do a little bit of penance as well. But we can think of imaginative ways of doing it. It can be a way of, we're entitled to eat a meal on a day of fasting so a couple can still celebrate their love and their hopes and their dreams. So it's not entirely bad news, it's good news. <laughs> it's good news. It could have been a dilemma but it's good to hear that there's actually a bit of reprieve there. Well there are possibilities, yeah. Mm. That's, yes. That's brilliant. Yeah. Are the relics solely in White Friar Street Church? No, the, no, they're not. <clears throat> it's possible to venerate and intercede with St. Valentine in Rome. They're in a church there called Santa Maria, which is near the Circus Maximus in Rome, and it's a church which belongs to the Eastern Catholic community or the Greek Catholic community. And uh, they have the skull of St. Valentine there and uh, it was 
Saint Paul VI, who was the Pope between 1962 and 1978, before John Paul. He gave Santa Maria in Cosmond into the care of the Patriarch of the Greek Catholic Church, and in in that particular church is the skull of Saint Valentine, and it's been venerated there for over 200 years. The relics were uncovered during an excavation in Rome in the early 1800s, so very much like the time the relics came to Dublin. So on this day where we celebrate Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, and it turns out St. Valentine too, we can ask him to help us celebrate the gift of love more intensely, to live our faith with great commitment, the kind of commitment that he had, and ask him to help us see clearly. In fact, there's a story about him which says that he healed someone who was blind. So he, we, we might ask him to enable us to see uh, life as God sees it and to see the possibilities for love. There's a story that when he was in prison, a guard asked him to pray for the healing of his daughter who was blind and the daughter regained her sight. So he's someone who is close to us in our difficulties. The numbers who come to the Shrine are enormous, particularly during the month of February. And I'm sure we'll have very big crowds uh, today uh, from all over the world. I mean, they come every day. The, the, the intention book is full of very edifying prayers. They, they would inspire you because they come from the deepest place in the heart. People who are, who are looking for love and for friendship and for happiness. St. Valentine is a patron saint of love. He was a patron saint of love, I assume, in the 1830s. So was this as huge a gift as we think it is? Or has the profile of St. Valentine grown so much since that it's now seen as a bigger uh, gift than it was back then? Well, it, it seems that the cult around St. Valentine developed in the later Middle Ages uh, and associated him with romantic love. Uh, the, Father Spat, who I mentioned earlier, is the subject of a book published by uh, a UCD historian, Fergus Darcy, about seven or eight years ago. Uh, quite an extensive biography. And the first study of uh, John Spratt, and in, his, in one of his footnotes, Professor Darcy refers to the cult which developed uh, in the Middle Ages, but as you know, he was uh, he features in uh, commercial cars and so on for St. Valentine's Day. And uh, before the Second Vatican Council, he, he featured in the calendar of saints. Um, he's no longer there. On the 14th of February, his feast was actually celebrated liturgically. But after the council, uh, the, <clears throat> the calendar changed. Some new saints, some recently canonized saints were added and some of the older saints were 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 dropped from the calendar and not celebrated any longer. But interestingly, Pope Francis, in a document after a synod about five or six years ago called the Moris Laetitia, mentions that the church needs to acknowledge St. Valentine. He specifically mentions him, uh, needs to acknowledge St. Van- Valentine and uh, acknowledge his place in the heart of the people of God. And I mean, they, they, it's it's quite something 
uh, to witness the devotion to him here. Obviously, on St. Valentine's Day, they call, people come in very large numbers. You're talking thousands of people in the course of the day. And last year, it was said that some of the men who work here said they, had, they hadn't seen numbers like that for, they hadn't ever seen them, 25 years or so. These men have been working here. They said they'd never seen it before. Now, I, I suppose you have to take into account the fact that there was a gap in our lives yeah. because of COVID, you know, and that, that did, of course, affect people's ability or their, 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 their opportunities to celebrate. And uh, St. Valentine's Day was one of the days affected. <clears throat> I think uh, that COVID period has exacerbated the amount of people going to anything. So like sports events are mm. doing the figures mm -hmm. are up all across the planet for whatever mm -hmm. the sport is. So yeah, it probably doesn't surprise me that um, the number's up for St. Valentine as well. They are, yeah. So we, we'll see. We'll see how today goes. And tell me, I'm guessing by the name Valentine, Valentino, uh, Valentine was um, Italian. What do we know about yes. Valentine? Well, uh, we don't have too much certain knowledge. Uh, it's the generally accepted account, according to Fergus Darcy in his book, on Father Spratt was that he was martyred in or about the year 269 and <clears throat> it was in the reign of Emperor, Emperor Claudius II and he was buried in the cemetery of Apostolus off the Tiberturn Way. So the, the, the 14th of February was the date of his martyrdom. Uh, another account suggests that he was a bishop in Terni, which is not far from Rome, northeast of Rome, and there's a basilica named there in his honour. But we're not absolutely certain. But there is a, a strong tradition of prayer to him, and it's still here. It's very clear, and it's really very, very touching. I, I was thinking about it today, and what strikes me about those who come and pray to Valentine is... What I would call their the pure their purity of heart, their utter honesty in the intentions and intercessions they make, which uh, often might concern somebody who's sick, somebody who's unwell, somebody who's looking for a suitable job, or, or you could call it a, a vocation, a job that they like, a job they enjoy, and um, also someone. They would they they pray for someone they might share their life with and find happiness, um, marry and have children. They're very very touching, and as you know, Ireland has uh, welcomed a large number of people from other nations in the last ten or fifteen years. So you'd often find the intercessions in Spanish or Portuguese or Italian or French or other languages, Polish perhaps. Uh, and uh, yep, I don't read all those languages, but <clears throat> it's clear that the, the 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 prayers come from out of heart, looking for love, looking for happiness, mm -hmm. and uh, they're very touching. 
What do we know about uh, Valentine's family life? Uh, was he born into an impoverished home or was he of nobility? We simply don't know. There, there, there's nothing to indicate uh, very much about his background other than the fact that he died in or about the year 269 and it's thought that he died on the 14th of February. That's about the extent of our knowledge of him. There are suggestions that one of the reasons he was martyred was because he defied certain imperial regulations about who could marry and that he um, married a couple <clears throat> in breach of the civil law, uh, but, but that's uncertain. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a paucity of information about him, but there's no doubt that from the third century, there is devotion to him. And as Fergus Darcy mentioned in his book on Father Spratt, there's a basilica named in his honour in Terni, which is northeast of Rome. There is a basilica named in his honour. So there, there was a, clearly there was a devotion there to him. Right, right, yeah. And uh, a church was named in his honour. So traditionally, <clears throat> it, it, it's, it, the church generally isn't named after someone unless they're renowned for their holiness. Yeah. And about mm-hmm. the way he passed, do we know anything about that? Martyred. In, in a particular form, I, we don't know. Uh, I'm not quite sure. But it, it, some form of suffering, obviously, yeah. uh, but the method, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, there's not, nothing to indicate the particular way in which he died, apart from the fact that he was martyred. Do we know about his miracles? Because to be a saint, you've got to have some miracles under your belt to know what they were. Uh, a policy of information. The fact that he was a martyr is generally... Uh, regarded by the public as a sign of sanctity and uh, the person who dies a martyr is generally regarded as someone who has great intercessory power before God and who looks after the, the their clients, so to speak. Uh, I mean, if you go back to uh, someone who we remember immediately after Christmas, St. Stephen, who uh, was martyred, and one of those who <clears throat> was present at the martyrdom was Paul, who at the time was Saul. And uh, the Acts of the Apostles, which describes the early life of the church, said that Saul entirely approved of the killing. But it also says that Stephen said, forgive them, do not hold this sin against them. And it later happened that Saul was converted on the road, well, on his way to Damascus. So the, the martyrs are always regarded as people with great intercessory powers and uh, they die with forgiveness for their enemies. In fact, <clears throat> in the Second World War, we're moving forward a little bit, mm-hmm. we, there was a, a particular Carmelite called Titus Bransma. Titus Bransma was a Dutch Carmelite who was a professor of spirituality. Uh, he also had an interest in quite an interest in philosophy. And when Hitler came to power, he was a strong opponent and he he wrote quite a bit about the ideology of the Nazi party and defended the Jewish people. And he said that the Nazi philosophy was very anti-Christian, which of course it was. 
And he came to the attention of the German authorities and was ultimately arrested and taken to a concentration camp and martyred uh, in the early 1940s. And he died without showing any animosity or hatred towards the Germans. He died with great forgiveness. And in fact, a young nurse who gave him the fatal injection was converted and spoke about him saying that he had great compassion and there was something in his eyes which moved her and he also gave her his rosary beads so she was a a witness at the process for his beatification and he was canonized by Pope Francis in May of 2022 so he actually stayed here um and <clears throat> I, I know some Carmelites, uh, uh, some Irish Carmelites met him. I remember one particular man, Father Patsy Keenan, who remembers uh, Titus going to Kinsale in the 1930s when Patsy was a novice. And he remembers his great kindness and humor and his ability to mix with, with everybody. He was a very humane figure who liked a glass of whiskey and he likes to smoke his pipe as well as being a very strong and courageous Christian. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that power of forgiveness is and reconciliation is associated with martyrs and perhaps that's why St. Valentine is seen as somebody who unites people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a great surprise that People come here with that intention that they'll find someone to love. And as I was saying earlier, the the intentions which people make are they're they're made by people who are pure in heart. You know, they're looking for something very deep and something very noble. It's uh, it's it's quite edifying, actually. Yeah. And so anybody who visits the church, how do they see the the relics themselves? Are they just in a case or are they... Um, they're in a case. A private, yeah. private room, right? So, so, so they're in a case uh, at his shrine, which, so when the, the, the White Varsity Church is quite a big church, uh, and the when you enter, you go up to, on the right-hand side, as you come in, you go up towards towards the altar and in that area of the church, along with St. Valentine, there are little shrines, rather big shrines too, St. Anne, then St. Valentine, then St. Therese, the great French Carmelite, St. Jude and St. Pius X, who was a Pope of the early 20th century. So all of these saints are very popular um, I, I would think Jude, Therese, and Valentine are perhaps the most popular of those five saints. Mm-hmm. I, I think the saints are friends. They're friends. We've we've got friends in high places. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. uh, they're, they're people who, who look after our interests and people trust them. Yeah. That they'll they'll do their utmost for them. Yeah. They won't let them they won't let them down. So you're saying that yeah. St. Jude is there? St. Jude is there too. Relics of St. Jude? Uh, yes, there, there are relics of St. Jude here, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and have you got relics of St. Therese as well? We do. Wow. We do, yes. 
Yeah. And, and who else? Do you, you know, say? you know, Therese. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, Pius the Saint Pius the Tenth. Yeah. Wow. A, a pope of the early of the early twentieth century. Wow. So you're you're quite loaded mm-hmm. up in the old relics department. Well, people have devotion to the saints, and relics are a, a sign of their of their presence with us. You know. Yeah. Yeah. What can you tell me about the relic itself? I, I, I'm afraid I, not a great deal. Uh, the account of uh, <clears throat> Professor Darcy is that after the remains of St. Valentine were exhumed, uh, Father Sprat ensured their translation to Dublin and their installation in the church here in White Street. And as I mentioned earlier, there was a great celebration in November 1836 with the Archbishop and many priests and the choir from St. Andrews and Western Row and so on. But the precise relic we have, I am not quite sure of. Okay. So they've been in the casket for 185 years or 86 years, 88 years. Well, yeah, 88, 188 years they've been in Dublin, but I'm not sure precisely mm. what the relic is. But it is a relic authenticated of St. Valentine. And what do you think it means to Whitefriar Street Church to have the relic there and the relics of the other uh, people of importance? Well, when we stand for the Creed on a Sunday, we refer to the communion of saints. And a relic is a sign of our belonging to the church and to the body of Christ and to our unity with all the baptized, including those who have reached their destination in heaven, those who are looking out for us, who are interceding for us, people like St. Therese, St. Pius X, St. Jude, St. Anne, St. Valentine, St. Anthony. Titus Bransma, who I mentioned earlier, uh, the Dutch Carmelite from the Second World War. So it's a sign of our unity through history with with those who lived the faith and who, who loved God and loved their love still, their brothers and sisters. That's why I think people can confide in them and look for strength to, to love each other and to seek happiness. That's another thing about the, the, the intercessions. They're principally about a search for happiness and meaning and purpose. And what can you tell me about the Carmelite order? Well, as the name suggests, we're connected with Mount Carmel, one of the famous mountains of scripture. And we're associated in a particular way with Elijah, the prophet, who is regarded as the founder of the Carmelite order. And in fact, in St. Peter's Basilica, with other founders of religious order, stands Elijah as the founder of the Carmelites. So in the early part of the second millennium, a number of men went to Mount Carmel looking to to live a life inspired by the example of Elijah the prophet. And after a while, the patriarch of Jerusalem gave them a rule for their life, a formula vitae, which became the Carmelite rule. And they lived there 
on Mount Carmel. And over time, they migrated to Europe and became part of the friar movement, along with the Dominicans and the Franciscans and the Augustinians. And over time, the order expanded to include a second order, uh, Carmelite sisters. And uh, there are many famous Carmelite sisters. I mentioned St. Therese already, Teresa of Avila, Elizabeth of the Trinity, and another martyr, Edith Stein, who, who, was, who died a few weeks after Titus Brownsville. She was a, a lady who was a brilliant, a brilliant philosopher of the early 20th century who found her, read her way into the faith after reading Life of Teresa of Avila and subsequently joined the Carmelite order and was taken away by the Nazis because of her Jewish background and she was uh, canonized by John Paul II. So we, we've been, the Carmelites have been in Ireland since the 1200s and before the penal laws we were in this part of the city and we came back in the early 1800s. As I said, the church here was built in opened in or about 1826-27, so nearly 200 years old. And what attracted you to the Carmelites? Well, I had a family connection, actually, <laughs> going back a while, going back to a great-granduncle and great-grandaunt who were Carmelites, uh, something I wasn't aware of until after I mentioned the possibility. I, I asked my mother some questions about uh, the Carmelites and... She informed me about this history. But I think it was pe people like Titus Bransma and Therese who drew me towards the Carmelites. You're going to have a lot of visitors every 14th of February for a few years. I expect so. I expect yeah. so. Yeah. Please, God. Please, God. And everyone is very welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. It's a gift. And in terms of events taking place today, so what time are the services that are happening and what services are happening? Well, as you know, today is also Ash Wednesday. We, we have five Masses every weekday, which is quite a lot. So 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, half 11, 10 past 1 and 3 o'clock. And we also have confession uh, for two hours a day, every day during the week. And uh, on Saturday for four hours. But the church here is also renowned for its ministry of reconciliation. And that's another connection, I think, with, with Valentine, who as I said, was a martyr, and martyrs are associated with reconciliation. So the church here is one of the foremost places for the, for the sacrament of confession in, in, the, in the city of Dublin. And can you tell me, what does it mean to you personally to see Valentine's Day celebrated across the world like it does be celebrated? <laughs> We're so busy here that I... I hardly have the time to consider its greater implications, but the, 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 I think at root it's a sign of the hunger for happiness and for love, the hope that someone will find a friend for life in a relationship which is open to God, open to life, open to all that is good and true and beautiful. And uh, I think, as Pope Francis suggested, he, he is someone we can pray to for those gifts. God is love. 
God is love. Mm-hmm. What age were you whenever you joined the priesthood? I was 31 and I had been working as a solicitor for a number of years. So I joined the, during the 1990s <laughs> and subsequent to that, I, I entered and did the novitiate, which is a year of it's a trial period for both the person who enters and the order. And you see how things are going on both sides. And after that, you make simple vows or a simple profession for three years. Uh, and then over the course of the three years, the, this period of exploration continues. And then I, I made my solemn profession after nine years and I was ordained the following year. Uh, so I, I had done four years of philosophy and uh, four years of theology and my novitiate. So uh, I'm actually 60 this year, just about a fortnight ago, actually. Happy <laughs> 60 birthday. years of age. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the celebration continued for a year. Yeah. So it was good to celebrate these events. Tell me the similarities between being a solicitor and being a priest. Well, listening to people. I think that's a gift that both solicitors and priests need. They've been, been able to listen to what people are saying and being patient with people, being compassionate to people, uh, not being... I think my life experience is such that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not particularly surprised at whatever I hear. I think most priests have that gift of being able to listen to people without any judgment, being merciful and have, having time. That's another gift which is important, giving people time. And it's, it's not something that's always available. Uh, people are in such a rush <laughs> that it's good for them to be able to into the presence of someone who can give them time and their undivided attention. Do you know, there's something, I think about people who go off around the planet looking for themselves, who've grown up in Ireland. I'm, I'm thinking about myself, you know, who would be sort of, as a teenager, getting a bit lost and you end up going around the place and you think, you know, who am I, where do I come from? And I remember as living in uh, England at the time, or maybe as China, I can't remember, one of those two places. And I came home and I went to church with my mother and my family. And I sat there with uh, the, the community and I realized this is, this is who I am. This is where I come from. And it's weird and it's something to take note of that especially in those small rural communities where everybody comes together and they hang out for an hour a week. And there's, you know, it's very few places beyond, like, uh, beyond the church where that can happen. You know, of course, there's football matches and all the rest, but they are not the same because they're happening in different venues and it's different people and all the rest, but church is very different. And that's something I've often um, tapped into throughout the latter part of my existence on this planet. Yes, indeed. And uh, I think uh, I'm a a fan of football matches. I've uh, spent 
much of my youth traveling around the hills and valleys of Ireland following the, the maroon and white. Of Galway. So often to be disappointed. We're often to have some good days too. We, we, we have had, we've had some joy. <laughs> but <clears throat> the, the thing about the church is that it's not about a, a temporary triumph. We hope that it's about the, the, the victory of love over any, anything that might, that might hurt us or wound us in any way, that ultimately love will, will prove victorious. You know, that's what we believe in Jesus who came to show us how to love and also to show that love will be victorious in the resurrection, that love overcomes everything, including death itself. And uh, it's one thing that we, we, we have in Ireland is that solidarity with those who have suffered bereavement. And uh, we give each other the time and generally uh, the, the respect when uh, a family suffers uh, grief of the loss of a loved one. Mm. Um, it's, it's, often a, it's often a time where families can learn how much someone they've lost was loved. I, I recall um, I, my grandfather's um, death when I was only 14. He, he, he was uh, an engineer in Galway and he, he also taught at the university. So a lot of the engineers around Galway and all over the country would have, would have known him. And a lot of them came back to Galway to pay their respects and as a result, I heard a lot of stories. Who was he? And it's an opportunity. Sorry. What was his name? Rafe, Rafe Ryan. Hmm. Rafe Ryan. So he, he, he was born in East Galway and he had a, an engineering practice in, in the city. But he, so he, he, did, he taught in the university in there in Galway and he, he, as I said, a lot of the, the lads and ladies who did engineering would have, would have had him as a, a lecturer. But it was lovely to, to hear stories that I wouldn't have heard otherwise, you know. Yeah. And he, he actually suffered a stroke when he was a relatively young man. He was in his uh, early 60s. And um, as a result, I probably didn't get to know him as well as I should. I would have otherwise when I was a child. But then through other people's stories about him, I, I learned more. Something I worked out whenever my mother passed is that grief is the price we pay for love. Uh, that's true. Yes, it is. Yeah, tears are a sign of love. Yeah. Yeah, difficult one. Yeah. Whenever my mother passes well, it's grief overcomes one, and it's important not to fight it. In my no. case, this, this is what I felt. It was important for me not to fight it. It was important for me to let it wash over me. And it was, it was like a wash. It was like a cathartic washing through my system. Um, I, I wasn't present. I was, I was in China, whatever my mother passed. So, and what I found was I was talking about it nonstop <laughs> to anybody and everybody. Mm. I remember, mm -hmm. I remember the day after she died, I went to the local market and uh, I thought I should buy a vase 
and some flowers because my mother loved flowers and I thought it'd be a good physical reminder of her time on the planet. So whenever it's buying it, I, uh, the lady was asking for whatever the amount was and I was insistent that I would get a discount because my mother always got a discount. So I was I was quite insistent. And she thankfully the lady didn't put up too much of a fight to give me some money off. And I typed in, because my Chinese is okay, it's a bit like my Gaelic. It's a couple of fuck of, you know, and uh, I can talk a little bit of Chinese. But I punched into the into my phone. Um, my mother died yesterday and she, she always liked the bargain. <laughs> so I showed it to the woman, you know, hit the translate button and I showed it to her. Wow. And she looked at me and I remember the, the look on her face because in China they've got a very different um, view on death, you know, and their view on death is, uh, they, they, like, for example, they hate to look at a, at a you know, a grave even never mind a graveyard <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh, so they just don't like to look at anything to do with dead people in fact it's very hard to sell secondhand furniture in China because they believe that the spirits of the dead person will be in the furniture so mm. yeah so I remember the, the woman she looked at me as if to say you know I don't know what to make of what you've just shown me, <laughs> but um, I see. I, but I still have that vase. I took it home from China. Oh, and nice. it, it's it's intact, and I often put flowers in it, and it's my physical reminder of my mother. I do talk about my mother a lot. Do you forgive me? No, no, it's fine. No, no, it's fine. You're a good listener. Yeah, you're a good listener. Yeah. Okay, Father Sean, Aharshan, go to meal my August, Tommy Ambuihitich, Father Rod, Slangafoil. Banajil lad, Slangafoil. Slan. Come on, get Slan. This has been a Solid Hill Media original podcast and production.